Hello and welcome. I'm Dr Barry Harker and you're listening to Life Learnings. My guest today is Pastor Harold Harker. In case you're wondering, he is my cousin. Harold has been a teacher, principal, missionary, pastor and church administrator. He was president of the North and South Queensland Conferences of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and also president of the Trans-Tasman Union Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Harold has a long-standing interest in biblical and church history and for many years has led church history tours to Europe and biblical history tours to Bible lands. He has produced superb country guides for church history tours to Europe. Harold continues to lead tours to Bible lands. He also writes articles for Christian magazines. Additionally, Harold has worked closely with evangelist John Carter in Russia, Ukraine, India, South Africa, Papua New Guinea, the Solomon Islands and Los Angeles. My conversation with Harold will extend over two hours. In the first part of the program, I'll talk with Harold about being a tour leader and other aspects of his ongoing ministry. In the second program, I'll talk with Harold about the Bible and history and his early life and decision to pursue Christian ministry. Welcome, Harold. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Good to be here. Harold, one year ago, you were in hospital. And it was touch and go. Would you like to tell me about that? It was, Barry. And let me tell you, no one ever wants to go to hospital. I've never found anyone yet aiming to do that. But it comes to all of us at different times. I thought I'd lived a very healthy life. Hardly seen hospital at all right through my days. And then I felt I needed to see my doctor. And he said, oh, look, get a scan. And the scan, I thought I might have had some problems with a hernia of years before, and it turned out all clear. But then they found a spot on the tail of the pancreas. And when they examined that, all the radiologists, all the surgeons, the specialists, they said, this is the big C. You've got to get the tail cut off the pancreas. And when all the specialists tell you that, you say Okay, it's the best thing to do. And so I go to hospital and they take the tail of the pancreas off and send me home and then I found that the hospital had been very generous. They gave me a golden staff. And so what turned out from a five-day, six-day trip there turned out to be eight weeks and it really was touch and go. I remember seeing you in hospital at the time, and you weren't particularly well. I think you were just at that stage, just recovering. You're right. And you looked pretty pasty, if it I remember correctly. It was pasty, and I'd lost 18 kilograms, and uh, it was literally touch and go. My doctor said to me, you nearly didn't make it. And I just thanked the Lord. God is good. And today I've recovered, and I've led groups through the Middle East, and Yeah, it's great. Every day is like a new life again. And you thought you weren't going to come out of that hospital, didn't you? That is true. I just, I didn't know. In fact, I said, God, thank you for my wife, my kids, what I've been able to do. But if this is it, I'm in your hands. Hmm. And I just left things with the Lord. And fortunately, he has some other plans for me. Hmm. So, Harold, what's your motivation after an experience like that? What's your motivation for continuing to lead tours to Bible land, some of which I imagine would be quite arduous? Yes, 
very arduous. You know, you climb the hills of Petra and all sorts of things and have to arrange for a whole group, keep them happy. But I just thank the Lord for it every day. And I like to share the things that I've found and seen and let others say, wow, God is good and this is what he's done in history. How did you come to get interested in this area, Harold? It's 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 not something that most people would sort of plan to be. How did you get how did you get involved? I guess my interest in history started when I was a kid back in primary school. Yes. I would read my history book the whole way through before I even started the first day at school. I just loved history and geography. And and then when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I said, hey, the Bible lands. And his story, because history is his story. Yes. And how he's acted through the centuries since with his church, it's just been fascinating for me to see his hand over these things. So it's the fascination of the topic that really drives you on. And and to be able to go and see firsthand, I just want to share that with others. Now, after your illness, you missed a tour. Yes, I did. But then you went on the one after that. Correct. I'd had one through Europe, but I wasn't strong enough. The doctor had told me, it'll take you six months to get your strength back, and it did. And so I asked a friend to care for that one. But the last one, we had a great time in Jordan and Israel and Turkey and Greece. It was great. Who joins you on these tours? People who say, yes, I want to know what was in those places and how they related to the Bible. And just to see um, these exotic places. So people who have an interest in travel and also somewhat of history, they come and they really get raptured by the, they're really enraptured by what they see and say, wow, because I will give them a whole set of notes to browse through first and they know what they're in for. Mm. So the motivation could be that they just want to see these places? Yes. And the other one is if they have an interest in history? Correct. Are there people who are not Christians who join you on these tours? Yes. Yes, I had a young nurse at one stage, just a young lady, and she said, look, I wanted to see the world, and I'm single. And uh, so she came, she said, I come in the safety of this group. And at the end of the the trip, she said, I've had to re-evaluate my relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm. Now, it's usually, well, it's often asserted these days that there is no evidence for the accuracy of the Bible Do people come because they want to check these things out? Yeah, and they want to see actually did it happen here and where were the places that these events took place? So is there there evidence available on these sorts of tours that enables them to evaluate whether the Bible is true? Yes, they see the, the geography of the place. They see where things have happened. For instance, if I took someone up to Mount Nebo, And Moses, you can look over the Dead Sea and you can see on a very clear day some of the towers of Jerusalem. But Moses looked over, saw the promised land and in vision, and he died to actually stand there and say, this is where it happened and this is what he saw and he could see it from there. It just brings things to life and people say, Hey, I can understand the story now. I can visualize it, and it's real. 
Mm. What countries do you visit? I know the Middle East is not a particularly safe place these days. No, well, this last tour in September, October, we went to Jordan and to Israel. Now, there'd been a lot of fighting between uh, Gaza the, um, and the Jews down there by Tel Aviv and Gaza. And, but I had a message from the people in Jerusalem. They said, hey, it's life as normal in Jerusalem. But we can't fly out because planes weren't flying into Tel Aviv. So we had plan B. If we had to, we'd go and see Galilee and Jerusalem and the Dead Sea, go back into Jordan and fly out of our man. But we didn't have to because the fighting had stopped. But in Jerusalem, when we were there, you wouldn't have known there'd been a problem. Mm. So what do people get to actually experience on the tour? If I know you correctly, I know that the tour would be arduous and that you'd be trying to cover as much ground as possible. But what's a, what's a typical day look like on a tour? A typical day. Let, let me just tell you, the first day when we land in Amman, Jordan, flew in from Dubai, and there we're met by a local guide. The coach is all ready, and we're going up to Jeresh, which was one of the cities of the Decapolis, the 10 cities east of Jordan. And when we're going out of um, Amman and nearly get to uh, Jerash, I say, I want to stop at this river down at the bottom here. And they say, there's nothing there. It's the Zakwa River. I said, that's right. But biblical times, it was the Jabbok. And here is where Jacob wrestled with the angel. So we stop. We have a look at the water. It's flowing through there. And it's, it's uh, seasonal. But uh, we saw the river and we said, hey, Jacob might have been a few yards upstream. We're a little bit down, but here's the Jabbok. And this is where he wrestled all night with the angel. And you say, it took place here. And the story becomes alive. And the Bible, it becomes real. Mm. So who decides where you go? Do you decide that? Yes, that's my prerogative. I choose the, the places that will show the most to them. Wow. So what's the most memorable thing that's happened to you on one of these tours, Harold? Oh, there are hundreds of places we've seen. The most memorable one. Let me just take one. It's, we went to Mukawa in St. Petra. And, uh, That's in Jordan. It's, uh, sorry, it's in Jordan, not Petra. It's in Jordan, and it's looking down over the, not far from the Dead Sea, but it was one of Herod's palace fortresses. And that just happened to be where John the Baptist lost his head. And we've read the story, and so we walked down and up the other hill. It takes you 10 or 15 minutes to walk up. But underneath the hill, there are the caves where John the Baptist was probably kept in prison. And up there is where his head is displayed. And you say this, amazing. But John the Baptist, whom Jesus said was the greatest of the prophets. And to say this is where it happened. Yeah, that's just an example of one of hundreds of places. If people wanted to join you on a tour... How could they contact you? Oh, they contact me, and I can put them in charge with in touch with the uh, travel agent who arranges it for me, who's done it for many years. Um, I can give you contact details. That's no problem. 
Would you like to give us your contact details now? All right. Here's uh, an email address is Harold, H-A-R-O-L-D, dot Harker, H-A-R-K-E-R, at gmail.com. That's pretty simple. Harold.Harker at gmail.com. And I'll tell you when the next one is. I would have liked to have been on one of your tours in the past, but things just haven't worked out that way, Harold. You should come. Maybe in the future I'll, I'll consider doing that. I think this is a really interesting area because, to me today, there's a lot of attacks on the Bible. There's a lot of um, disregard for its teachings. Right. Uh, it seems to have lost its place in mm-hmm. Western civilization, and uh, it seems to me that a lot of these things have happened not because the evidence is overwhelmingly against the Bible, but because people have decided to to um, make direct attacks on it, or because it's inconvenient to believe the Bible or whatever. So it seems to me that these sorts of tours are important in maintaining confidence and faith in the Bible. And in the second program that we're going to uh, record, we'll be looking at this in a little bit more detail. Sure. Now, you also have an interest in church history. Oh, well, as This often takes you not just to the Middle East, but also to Europe. Now, you led tours into Europe for a number of years, didn't you? I've done that for 15 years or more with Australians and New Zealanders and I've even taken three groups of Russians through the areas of church history of Europe. It just becomes, as I said, history is his story. How has the church worked and lived throughout these centuries? Now, you've given up these tours. Do they still continue? Yes, they do. One of my friends, Russell Standy, still runs those. He's used the notes that I've put together and just tweaked it here or there, but they're still running. So if someone wanted to go on like a church history tour to Europe, they could also contact you at that yes, address. Yes, I can pass And you can pass the information on. on to people. Sure. Yes. Now, what parts of church history have been of most interest to you? I guess I, I'd like to see those who've stood for their faith, um, whether it's a single individual or whether it's people groups. And I've seen, let me tell you about one story of one young man. William Hunter was a young 19-year-old person. He read the Bible. He could read, which was unusual for some people, but he would go to the church, the chain Bible, and he would read. And he found a faith in Jesus Christ. But because he did that, in the time of um, Queen Mary, he it was not seen as kosher, and so he was put in jail. Finally, he's sent back to Brentwood, just outside London, and there there's a big obelisk in the main um, crossroads of the town on High Street to William Hunter, who gave his life for his faith. He was offered freedom if he would give up his faith. And I say, well, here is an individual who said to live by the Bible and my faith in Jesus Christ is worth more than life. Hmm. And I say, hey, that has a message for us. What do we value most in life? And there were people on both sides of the religious issues of those eras that gave their lives too, weren't sure they? Sure they were. Sure. It, so, what dri- so what drives a person to give their life for a faith? I guess your faith must be everything to you. I guess if our thoughts are on heavenly things more than temporal... Now, that doesn't make us of no earthly use, but it focuses where our priorities are. Mm. 
Mm. And I guess that's the, the key thing. Mm. So what types of experiences are available to people who go on a tour like that? What do you look at? Do you go to buildings, historical sites? Yes. We see uh, historical places. We see monuments. We see some cathedrals. We'll even see where some people are buried in, in cemeteries. Um, after a while, let me tell you a lighter aspect. Some of my people said, this is an ABC tour, another blessed cathedral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you get to go into museums and see documents and those sorts of things? We do see some museums, and they're excellent. Let me just tell you an example. The museum in Istanbul, it's the archaeological museum. And as you go in there, you walk in, there are great Hittite examples, a couple of lions that have come from the headquarters of the Hittites. And you go inside and see the first peace treaty between Egypt and the Hittites when both sides said they won. It was a stalemate, but here's the peace treaty in stone that was first recorded, the first peace treaty. And then you see things from Babylon, but there are a couple of other great things there. From Jerusalem, Hezekiah put a tunnel to bring water into Jerusalem. And the tunnel started either end, and where they met, they put a plaque to say, here is where it was. That plaque is in the museum in Istanbul. And so here's another stone just down the road, down the hallway a little bit. And it was a stone that said, Gentiles don't pass here. It was one of the stones from the temple of Jerusalem that Gentiles were not allowed into the holy place. And they've got it in the museum. And so what you read about the temple and the Jewish history, this actually took place. And here is an example of it. So I think what you're saying to me is that there is evidence for the validity of the scripture. Correct. So if people take the time and effort to check it out, that there is evidence there that confirms the narratives in, in the scripture. Absolutely. I mean, the story of Hezekiah, here it is in stone today in the museum. Mm. And so the Bible is validated and we can trust that because what was said there actually happened. So why is there so much criticism of the Bible? I think human nature doesn't like to be told what to do. And when the Bible says this is how we should live and it talks about a holy life, a life living to God, people who want to uh, please themselves don't like that. And there's a natural uh, reaction that just says, no, I don't want that. And I think that's why, in general, people have neglected the Bible because no one wants any direction as to may even be a better life. Hmm. So when you go into Europe and you go to museums and so forth, are there any access issues? I mean, at certain times of the year, I imagine that some sites would be closed and so forth. Yes, well, you go through Europe and you learn, firstly, most museums are closed on Mondays. You say, well, yeah, but that's their day off. Uh, and then you go to some and you just want to take no photo. Yes. Some of them you can photograph, but many of them, no photos, at least no flash in most of them. Mm. 
Yes. And so there are some restrictions, and sometimes it's just closed for the day. Or a museum might have uh, hundreds of things they put on display, and they change them. And what you want to see might be down in storage this time. Yes. So there are access issues to, to some of the evidence. So every tour is going to be different. I Slightly think different. I think that's what you're saying. So are things generally well preserved? Are people taking care of these monuments and historical sites, buildings and so forth? They are. And around the world, the World Heritage Sites are well known and respected and are being preserved. Uh, an example, I went to see the old town of Laodicea, or if you're in Turkey, it would be called Laodicea. And when I first went there, it was just grass growing on an old paddock and bits of marble here and there. There was nothing. Then the university started to excavate. They found the main street. They found the buildings. They found marble pillars. And they've started to reconstruct what it was. And today, it's great. And every time I go back, there's more to see of what it was like uh, because they know from the past where it was. And so, yes, they are being preserved, and you can see more today than you could a few years back. Is it the economic motive that's at work here, or is it a genuine desire to preserve both. history? It's both. They want to have more people come through, but uh, and to do that, they have to preserve history. Mm. Is church history still relevant today? I mean, today people are trying to de-emphasise their differences. Uh, particularly between denominations that might have been um, in dissension in the past? There is a movement that is in the world to try and let's get on with each other, not just tolerate but uh, acknowledge that each one has their own good points. But I find it's great. How do you come to be where you are if you don't know history? Mm. And so history, I think... If you, well, the famous quote, if you don't know history, you're going to repeat it. So why should we study history then? Well, I think history, as I told you, is his story. And it's not just about the rise of, of uh, countries and nations. It's how God has worked through the years, not only by the life of Jesus Christ in Palestine, but what has happened since with the church. You have the Bible, the book of Acts, as the Acts of all the apostles, how they went throughout the then known world, and that has continued. And I find that to be fascinating to know how this story has traveled around the world. Mm, so, so knowing your history enables you to place yourself in that history you know where you're coming from where the positions that you've adopted how they've worked out in the past so in studying history we get a better idea of who we are correct and also a better idea of where we where we're going in the future it's just like a person an ancestry you want to know your ancestors and where they've come from and so there are many websites today you can check your ancestry what about our ancestry in religious things? Mm. And so that's good too. Certainly there is uh, a lot of interest in people that have a lot of interest today in their ancestors and uh, their history, their family history. Right. And uh, I think that's, that's important. But I think also, I think you're correct. I think the idea of actually knowing something about your religious history or if you hold a particular religious viewpoint, where you've come from is, is important as well. So what can we learn from church history? Is, 
Are there any patterns in it that we can observe to, to get some general principles about how we should be interacting with each other, how we should be dealing with contested issues and so forth? Well, I guess there are a lot of um, factors that impinge on this. Um, today we have the United Nations and the Charter of Liberty. Each person has the ability to choose what they will believe, how they will worship, and so on. And we believe that's in an inalienable right for every person. And I've seen through history, I don't care who is in control, but whenever a religious group unite with the government, there is usually oppression to the minorities. And we've seen that throughout history everywhere, and we're still seeing it today. Yeah, I guess if you look at uh, Christian history, there's only been a brief period of time in the last several centuries where people have had significant freedoms. There have been periods prior to that where people have had freedom of religion. I think it's uh, a, a recent thing to have the sort of religious liberty that we have in our own societies. And even today, not everyone enjoys those sorts of liberties. Correct. Well, and go back to Martin Luther's time when Luther uh, came up with his ideas that were opposed to the church of the day. Then the princes accepted it. But if a prince accepted Luther's ideas, they were all Lutheran. If they didn't, they were all Catholic. And so you have these two opposing thoughts, but the prince decided it for his people, whereas today the individual decides it. Mm. If I had to think about one of the things that would change my quality of life in my society more than any other, it would be a loss of religious freedom. A loss of any freedom, but particularly but loss of any freedom, religious but, but freedom. Religious freedom would impact probably more than any of the others. Sure. So to me, it's a quite precious freedom. And as I look around the world, I see that not a lot of people actually enjoy it mm -hmm. in the way that I do. Uh, and yet it's one of those things that I think has made the modern era uh, a better era than, say, the medieval era or times past. Correct. As you know, Barry, we're going to talk about the freedoms uh, that we get in the Western world in particular that have come down to us and how we've got them. For instance, as you know, this year is the 800th anniversary of Magna Carta, the, the basic freedom that most Western countries have adopted. And religious freedom has developed from that down through the centuries. I should say that, Harold, you're, you're part of a small group of people that are working with me to produce a, a documentary on the 800th anniversary of the right. signing of Magna Carta. And that's a fascinating, it's a fascinating story, and um, I look forward to your involvement in that. And so for those of you who are listening, in uh, June this year, we're going to be broadcasting uh, a documentary around the 800th anniversary of the signing yeah. of Magna Carta. Right. So look out for that in the future. Now, there are people who look at the Bible and say that there are prophecies in the Bible that are worked out in human history. Can we see prophecies from Scripture being worked out in human history? Yes, we can. Um, not only the great nations of the world. I mean, we go to the Bible, to the book of Daniel, and we can see in Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7, the great nations of the world are outlined 
in prophecy before it actually took place. And you can list them as Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome, and you can follow that through. Uh, I've been interested to uh, even see where, for instance, the Persians go and attack uh, Greece. And when they go over there, uh, Xerxes, or as the Bible calls him, Artaxerxes, or Ahasuerus, he uh, gets beaten by the Greeks and goes home losing thousands of his men. And the change of dominance in world history, but we can see it in church history as well. Mm. So we might be able to talk about that a bit more in, sure. in, our, in our next program. That's a, that's a fascinating area, isn't oh, it? Oh, it is. And it, and it seems to me that uh, when God says that he tells us beforehand so that we might believe that God intends that we be able to see prophecy working out in, in human history Correct. so that we can actually believe him. Correct. So that's one of the purposes of prophecy is to help us yep. to, under, to, to believe and, and to have faith. Now, this is all a long way away from Papua New Guinea. <laughs> sure is. Now, you were a missionary there. Some years ago now. We worked there for 10 years. We lived in Papua New Guinea. And where did, you, where did you live? We went, first of all, to a place called Nubia. It was halfway between Madang and Wewak on the north coast. And we lived there for three years and would go up the Ramu River and across to the islands out across the bay. It was a fascinating country, and I've got so many friends there. I imagine that you would have had contact with some of the people that I've interviewed on this program, um, Pastor Colin Winch. Oh, yes. He's flown me all over the place there. That was great. So have you got any stories about Colin? Oh, Colin was a great storyteller. I remember once he was flying me from Madang to Iom. I was going to do a patrol through the Iom area, and he looks down and he says, I'm glad it's you going down there today and not me. I said, why? He said, look down there. And shining up, it was like a mirror in the, in the trees and the grass. Uh, and it, he said, the river has overflowed its banks. You're going to be walking in water. And he let me out. And after a day, I go down. And sure enough, the river was overflowing its banks. And he was also pretty good with pidgin English. Oh, Colin was the best storyteller in Pigeon. You would split your sides. He's a pretty good storyteller in English he as well. He is. <laughs> uh, he was a great pilot too. And I appreciated getting to know Colin, working with him and being associated with him through those years. Now, I remember when we interviewed him about his time in Papua New Guinea, he was telling us about one of his young workers that worked with him and how he wanted to go flying with him and uh, finally pestered him um, to go flying. And then when he, when he decided to, um, to take him flying, he, he wanted to walk away from it all. But I remember him particularly talking about how he would say to this man, shove him, shove him, you know, when it was ready to push the stuff out of the plane. Yeah. I understand that you went through a similar experience. I've been with Colin and we've delivered bags of clothing to remote villages and you take the door off and the wind whistles past as you're flying and you have to go and Colin comes right down. He says, now, and you throw the bag out and down it goes into the village clearing. I've been there and done that. It's thrilling. When I interviewed him, he told us the story about the young man who decided that he was going to show off to the girls and, 
and, <laughs> and, and, and came out of the school when, when Colin was doing a drop. And the first couple of bags were sort of fluffy and soft. So when he picked them up, he thought, well, maybe the third one will be as well. So I'll try to catch this one. But he didn't realize it was full of sunlight soap and bowled him over and knocked him out. And I think it was a life lesson well learned, actually. Well, a bag coming down at 80 kilometers an hour, you don't try and catch it. No, especially if it's full of sunlight soap. <laughs> so tell me, tell me about other parts of New Guinea. I mean, this is just completely culturally different from the Middle East and, uh, and, and Europe. What did you appreciate about the culture in Papua New Guinea? Well, I, I appreciated one thing, the friendship of the people. And as I'd visit from village to village, I, they would come and they would have um, offer you fruits and whatever they had. It, it was just... Uh, I mean, I travelled up the Ramu River. Sometimes the outboard motor would work. Sometimes it didn't work and you'd float back down. So you always go up as far as you can and you always get home that way. Um, but as I would travel, I appreciated the fellowship with people who would share what was happening there, how they lived, how they got their food, how they cooked it. And we became just so close to these people who work with me. Now, you have had some ongoing involvement with Papua New Guinea, and we'll talk about that after the break. Tell me where the interest in writing came from, Harold. You, you, write, you write articles. I guess my grandfather was a writer. Um, he wrote a number of articles and things, and I have written more since my retirement. Yes, I put together what to see in the countries of the Middle East and Europe and 22 different countries, but uh, since I've retired, I've decided to write for Christian magazines and I like to write, and I've written over 60 articles for them now. Mm. I think we share an interest in history, and we also yes. share an interest in writing, so I guess that comes from our grandfathers. It must do. I was talking with Harold prior to the interview today, the conversation, and uh, we both agreed that neither of our fathers were writers. Correct. And so this must have been where this, where this came from. What topics do you like to write about? Is it mostly history? Mostly I have taken a historical event and focused on that and then see what that means for us today. And uh, I, I, I love doing history, but I have done some in practical living. I wrote one article about Christmas at our house. What do you do when Christmas comes? Uh, what does Christmas mean to you? Um, and so practical uh, topics as well as uh, historical ones. Now, Harold, you're pretty busy today with your tours and um, your involvement with ongoing evangelism and, and, and uh, things like that. Do you have any spare time? And if you do, what do you do with it? Well, I like to read because a writer likes to read as well. And uh, reading becomes a relaxing time for me as well as gathering information that I might use sometime in the future. And so I like to read as much as anything. Uh, I don't just like to go out and sit in the sun. I've got a skin that doesn't go well with that. But I like to travel. And, for instance, I've been around the world so many times, but I've never been to Tasmania. And next month I'm going down there travelling around the state. Great place, Tasmania. Great. You'll, you'll really enjoy it. And this time of year it'll be glorious. We'll go to a break now. 
When we come back, I'll be talking with Harold about his experience of international evangelism. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 2 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3abn That is radio at the number 3abn Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3abn Australia Inc., PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264, Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. If you've just joined us, I'm Dr Barry Harker and you're listening to Life Learnings. My guest is Pastor Harold Harker. We've been talking about his interest in biblical and church history and his ongoing involvement as a tour guide to Bible lands. In this part of the program, I'll talk with Harold about his experience of international evangelism. Harold, tell me about Russia and how you came to be involved there. Russia, that's fascinating. You know, when I went to college, I was a student, fellow student with John Carter, who has become a world-renowned evangelist. And John decided he would go to Russia. He was invited there just as the um, wall that surrounded Russia collapsed and Gorbachev was there and he went into Moscow and ran a small program in 1991. They invited him back in 1992 and he said, would I like to go and prepare things for him? Russia, it was, an, you would not believe what it was like in 1992. I said through my interpreter, I need some flat black paint for the blackboards. They said, flat paint? What do you mean? You've run over it with your car? How'd, we only have one sort of paint. I said, take me to your paint shop. He said, we don't have a paint shop. They, I said, where do you get your paint? Well, he said he took me to this, what I thought was a small department store. It had four tins of paint stacked on top, and the, the colour was, there was about a postage stamp size that just said what it was. There was usually white or black. Uh, and that was all you got. I said, well, get the paint. We'll use a bit of sandpaper and just take any shine off so it's like a flat surface. Uh, that was Russia in 1992. And I'm there on my own trying to get ready for this big program that the evangelist was going to run. Uh, it was You had to literally queue for a loaf of bread. Mm. Uh, we had to take with us our wheat picks and powdered milk. and You just couldn't buy anything. That was Russia in 1992. But from that program, I came back as they started. I'd done the preparatory work, and there were thousands baptized and new churches raised up in what was an atheistic country. I think there was quite a bit of spiritual hunger and, oh. and, and interest after the Soviet Union dissolved. Correct. And so you're right in at that particular time. And people from the West had not visited. I was uh, asked to go to Chabuksari. And when I went there, you, uh, you would open the door for the meeting and people would literally run. Uh, 
fill up from the front seat to the back and then it's standing room only. Mm. Uh, there was that hunger. There was no uh, materialism. You couldn't buy anything. Uh, but people were hungry for something that might satisfy their own needs. And t- t- to me, it was uh, fascinating to be able to go and present what a Christian life is all about and see people respond and churches be formed in an atheistic country. Mm. That to me was was great. And so I took great pleasure in not only running programs myself for a couple of years there, but since then I've been the manager and organizer for John Carter in so many places. Tell me about tell me some more about Russia before we go into those other places. Um, it was an amazing time, wasn't it? That period of transition from the Soviet Union to, to modern Russia. I, have, I was in Russia in 95, mm-hmm. uh, and the most amazing experience for a few weeks, and one of the most memorable experiences of my life. It was. I just, just, just loved it there. Well, I've learnt to get around Russia in those days. I've learnt to uh, work in the area, and I have seen the the transformation that's taken place in Russia over 20 years. When I first went there, as I said, you could hardly buy a loaf of bread. Nothing else in the way of groceries much. Maybe a little bit of pasta and that was it. Today, if you go back there, I have seen a great store with 60 checkouts all in a line and you can buy anything in there from furniture to vegetables to groceries it's all there if you have money you can buy anything you don't take any food with you now everything's available i think that entrepreneurial spirit was just exploding around that time wasn't it It i can remember going to a market and seeing just a line of people some of them with only one product in their hands they had something to sell correct i would go to a market and here's a a woman holding up two articles of clothing and if this blouse fitted you you bought it because you mightn't see one again for 12 months. Mm. If it was your size, grab it while you can. But she would make more by selling two articles of clothing than she would working in a factory. Mm. It's, it's just a... So there's been some massive changes in, in Russia over that time. And they haven't all been for the good either. Mm. Before that, it was tightly controlled. Mm. But when a little bit of capitalism comes in and free enterprise, then you've seen a massive growth in Russia in the bad things of life, from prostitution to pornography. It's all there now. It's a free open go, Mm. whereas before there was a lid kept on things. Mm. And people, some from Russia, said we wish the day was there when everyone had a job, even if they didn't have much. Whereas today, some are without work, but look at all the evils that have come with it. And so capitalism isn't the answer for, for everything either. It has good points and has bad points. Mm. And I've seen both in Russia. Do you have any ongoing involvement there? Not in Russia at the moment. I've been to Russia and you know six or seven, eight times. I've been to Ukraine a number of times. Tell also. me about the Ukraine. That's a U- Ukraine. Well, there's a lot of problems over there now. But before that, when we went there, I've been land in Kiev and drive out to the eastern part, Dnipropetrovsk, Donetsk, 
Kharkov. I've been to all of these places and and work and prepared for John Carter and managed the programs. Ukraine is a sad country that's torn between Russia and the West at the moment. And I have seen uh, Ukraine, the, the good and the bad, and it's not a country you'd want to go back to today, but fortunately... The word of God has touched so many lives and I've seen that and the change that it brings to someone who didn't believe in God at all to being a vibrant Christian. The Ukraine was a particularly troubled place during the Second War with German armies coming east and then the Russian armies coming it west. It was the meat in the sandwich. Yeah, so I have a lot of sympathy. It's sort of, it's sort of neither east nor west in its totality and it, and it's drawn between the two you know and it just it seems so sad about it was the breadbasket of, of of the former Soviet Union mm. and they would take a lot of the wheat out back to Russia and Ukrainians actually starved and died of hunger when their wheat was taken back to Russia mm. so there's feelings that run deep yeah going back decades and probably centuries yes and this is where the history thing comes in, isn't it? Until Correct. you understand the history of these places, you don't understand what's going on there. And it has the Cossacks. Uh, I've been to the town of Kharkov and others there where the Cossacks were. Um, fascinating when you see the history of what's happened in those countries through the centuries. Now, you've also worked in India. That's another fascinating place. Oh, India is another story. It was, I've been there a number of times, and we had a great program in Visakhapatnam with John Carter again. But India, with its teeming millions, um, we were just overwhelmed with how the people, Hindus and others there, uh, just went about their lives and what you had to do to get what you needed to run this program. That was another story. Tell me about the contrast between India and maybe European countries or, or Russia. Well, India, of course, is one where many visitors to India need to take uh, something for stomach upsets. Uh, our food is different to theirs, and uh, we stayed at a, I managed to arrange a very good hotel for the team, but of their dishes that they served probably 32 out of 33 were highly spiced with hot hot curries and you had to say can we have some a little bit less mm. um, it's a different culture mm. maybe the hotness of their curries kills the bugs I don't know yeah but culturally it's oh. a place also that's uh, that's quite different but economically, it's a potential giant, isn't it? Really? It is going, and I read a report this week. By 2016, that's only a year away, it might even be passing China in its GDP and so on. It's got tremendous growth. Uh, it's got it's the second most populous country in the world. And uh, I believe India has a lot of potential and we still have radio programs there and television programs. And so maybe there will be a message that will touch their hearts and lives. Now, you've also had ongoing involvement with the Pacific Islands, the Solomon Islands, 
Well, first of all, we came to the Solomon Islands and I went out there and arranged and managed John Carter's big program. Um, we used the football stadium and uh, they said, we don't have it for these three weeks, so we booked it out. And half of the Honiara literally came to those programs to hear the Bible presented and what it means today. And when half the town comes out, the police said the crime has dropped amazingly. Mm. Uh, and then to see the changed lives. Uh, we had some people were saying, this message is so good, they took out their mobile phone and held it up and got this, the message that was coming and beaming it to their village on another island. Now, that would be an expensive mobile phone call. Yes. But the message of Jesus Christ and how it touched lives just got out through the islands. Is that your motivation for doing this? I mean, you could have a nice, comfortable retirement. I could put my feet up and play golf, and that was it. Yes. But... I just see what what how can we bring a better quality of life and a better hope to people today. Mm. But from Solomon Islands, we had a fantastic time in Papua New Guinea. Now, naturally, I knew Papua New Guinea. I'd been there for ten years, and we decided to go to Port. What was it like going back all these years later? Uh, Bit of nostalgia. Yes, it was nostalgic, but you see the change that have taken place. And the safety was not like it was when I worked there. Uh, today, you... Because you were there pre-independence times, Pre-independence, and everything was safe. You never locked your house or anything. It was just great. But today, there's so much crime around. There's gangs around. But to see gang people changed, that is wonderful whether it's from the jails or from people who've come. Let me tell you one experience. John Carter was talking one night about the baptism of Jesus and how when he came up out of the water, a dove of the Holy Spirit descended on him. And right then, a white dove flew in the, in the lights of the arena and flew out and came back two other times, once when there was a baptism. And to see that, the people said, this is a sign from God. Now, they have a simple faith, but when you see multitudes come in, tens and tens of thousands flock in and, and really um, fill a stadium and up the hill and in the next paddock as well where they could hear. To me, that's astounding. And I see the thousands who have responded when... John Carter made a call to come and give their lives and to be a Christian. That's worth it for me. What about South Africa? South Africa is another country again where there are not good things. We've just seen in the recently where an Australian family was butchered there with machetes. When we were there, we were staying in a in a motel that had high security around it with electric fence over the top of the wall. And yet in that little cul-de-sac, someone was shot while we were inside. So it's another country in transition. It's, it is. It's in transition. And, but again, you, I appreciate the different cultures and how they look at life and then 
what they do when they see that there is hope for them. Mm. So South Africa is another another country. I wouldn't choose to live there, but I th- am thankful that the message of Jesus Christ has got out to these people. Now, John Carter's ministry has been based in Los Angeles. Yes. And you've also done evangelistic series in Los Angeles? Yes, he has. And uh, What's the difference between the spirituality of a place like Los Angeles and Papua New Guinea or India or South Africa? Well, I think in Papua New Guinea, uh, people would come, they, they will see what's on offer. But uh, then I also see Los Angeles, Americans are more spiritual than Australian. We're more secular. People there will... Well, get, certainly more overtly spiritual. Overtly, than yes. Yeah. And so people would come and say, well, what does archaeology have for me? And Egypt, let me tell you, any display on Egypt anywhere will bring the greatest crowds to a museum. Mm. And so if you're talking about Egypt and the archaeology of the Bible lands, people come to listen and then they'll see what that then means to us today. And Los Angeles was like that. I've seen the hundreds come along and uh, make a change in their lives because of the message that comes to them. This is interesting because America has a quite different history from Australia. It does. And that has impacted on their spirituality, Mm -hmm. or at least their public spirituality. Yes. So it seems to me that the history that we've been talking about, the church history and the history of nations, has an impact on the way their people view the world. So there is is an outcome from from the history. The Pilgrim Fathers and and all that that meant as they came across and... So this has set the this has set the American character. It's defined down the centuries mm-hmm. what it means to be an American. Yes. The emphasis on freedom, individuality, correct, so forth. All of this, all of this can be rooted in in, in history. And so religious we, freedom, civic freedom, it's all there. Hmm. And of course, we got our religious liberty statute and our constitution essentially from the Americans. Correct. And it's been a great thing for Australia. It's mm-hmm. made us. I think it's made us a better a better society. Yes. And yet we can see things beginning to change. As uh, terrorism comes, people give up certain things if they can be safe, mm. even some liberties sometimes. Mm. And I'm, I'm sensing that around the world, both in America and in this country. Mm. Well, Harold, it's been really uh, interesting talking with you. I look forward to our next conversation. But I'm just wondering now whether you would like to just close this conversation today with prayer and perhaps with a special reference to those people who have been hospitalised recently who have gone through a similar experience to what you did 12 months ago. Mm -hmm. I'll be happy to do that. Thank you. Father in heaven, today we just thank you for how you've led our lives. I particularly want to thank you for a new life you've given me since hospital days. And I'm very sympathetic to all those who are suffering, who have had operations. But may we look to you for the strength that you can give day by day. We sense your history is his story. And we just want to see Jesus again in the lives of his people. May this be a reality today and every day. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Harold, thanks very much. I look forward to the next conversation where we're going to go into a little more depth 
about some of these issues around Bible history mm-hmm. and the accuracy of the Bible, and then we're going to talk about your early life and experience. Okay. I'm Dr. Barry Harker, and you've been listening to Life Learnings. My guest today has been Pastor Harold Harker. Remember to tune in again next time as I speak with Harold on our second topic. Bye for now, and God bless you and keep you. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.